Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. Jess will be back tomorrow. Steve Ray will be my guest in the second segment to continue a journey through the Easter Tritium that we're going to be experiencing. We call it the week that changed the world. So it's going to be a great show. I'm also going to talk about something very exciting for right after the gospel, and that is breaking news. Over 70 bishops warned German bishops that the synodal path will lead to schism. God bless those bishops. Yes, Bishop Strickland is one of those. We'll talk more about that. Also, Strickland said this in a show that you can hear on Virgin Most Powerful. He said, rejecting God doesn't just leave the world empty. It's activity opens the door to Satan. It's nice to hear a bishop talk about uh, Satan and who he is because uh, as many people are, unfortunately have lost the sense that Satan is really real. But before we do any of that, let's get the gospel for today. On Wednesday of Holy Week, from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 14 to 25. One of the twelve, who was called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? They paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that time on, he looked for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the disciples approached Jesus and said, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time draws near. In your house I shall celebrate the Passover with my disciples. The disciples then did as Jesus had ordered and prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Amen, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Deeply distressed at this, they began to say to him one after another, Surely it is not I, Lord. He said in reply, He who dipped his hand into the dish with me is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of God is betrayed. It would be better for that man if he had never been born. Then Judas, his betrayer, said in reply, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. He answered, You have said so. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. That's a powerful gospel. I believe it applies not only to the successors of the apostles, but to us with Judas. Have we denied Christ? That's, that's really the question. How do we not deny Christ? By staying and by embracing his teachings, his perennial teachings. And I want to read from you to you the little short note from the Navarre Bible that says this. It is disconcerting and sobering to realize that Judas Iscariot actually went as far as to sell the man whom he had believed to be the Messiah and whom he called to be one of his apostles. <clears throat> 30 shekels or pieces of silver were the price of a slave. The same value as Judas put on his master. Those are sobering words of a commentary. You think about not just successors of the apostles, being Judas's, and then to us, are we going to deny Christ by saying out of convenience or 
you know, uh, not wanting to get in trouble with the government. Uh, it seems to me, and this is just me, that this gospel applies big time to successors of the apostles for not speaking up for the truth on the gospel by saying, no, 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 we got to get along with the Chinese government. we got to get along with these people. And as I said before, uh, never worry about who will be offended if you speak the truth. Worry about who will be misled, deceived, and destroyed if you don't uh, give the truth out. And I say that not just for apostles and bishops and priests, but for us. We have to speak the truth in charity. And that's what we try to do here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Let's bring the smartest guy into the room right now, Archbishop Sheen. Full Sheen ahead here. All right, there's that whistle. It's running late. It's Holy Week. I understand. This is a topic called guilt. This is a good one. Bishop Sheen says, what is driving people to sleeping tablets is to some extent driving them to psychoanalysis couches. They are in flight from what is distasteful and what cannot be blotted out. And most often, it is unrequited guilt. That's our culture. There's no sin. He says, we point out these sad facts to remind those who are full of fears and anxieties that there is another remedy besides sleeping tablets, <laughs> and that is consciously confronting our guilt and asking pardon of God. Another way to live right so we won't have to try to forget. You know, I, I apply that because so many people, I, I do interviews with other Catholic stations because when I'm speaking at men's conferences, like last week on Guadalupe Radio, I said, they said, Terry, you seem so upbeat. We listen to you on Terry and Jesse. We listen to you on, on Bishop Strickland's Hour, and you're always pumped. Well, I'm pumped because I live a sacramental life. I don't have the stress, and I don't have the fear that someone who doesn't love Jesus has. And I think that's what Bishop Sheen's point is when he's talking about this. So that, those are my thoughts. All right, I want to, before we get Steve Ray, I want to give that breaking news. Oh, and one more thing, too, I should tell everybody. Um, I wanted to tell you that the men's conference is taking place June 18th with Jesse Romero, Ruben Nava, and myself. And um, you can have couples, married couples can come to it. We, start, we opened that up a couple years ago because of the content is very appropriate. So I would encourage you to go to vmpr.org to sign up. Also, the, the conference for marriage is happening on the 7th of May with Dr. Sandoval, my wife, and myself. We'd be happy to uh, get you to come to that on the 7th of May. Not only conferences, but we have mass, we have confession, and that will be on May 7th. Go to vmpr.org or call us at 877-526-2151. The breaking news, over 70 bishops warn German bishops that the synodal path will lead to schism. And these guys are well-known bishops, and we're talking about Cardinal Pell, Raymond Burke, um, you know, Cardinal Renzi, uh, Bishop Olmsted in Phoenix. There's a lot of people. Of course, Bishop Strickland uh, signed this. But uh, what they're basically saying is, you guys, wait. It's, um, it's saying, look, that you're we want to condemn this synodal path it because largely it's inspired not by scripture or tradition, but by just some, you know, feelings. Instead, the documents were guided by sociological analysis Contemporary political, including gender ideologies, say did the prelates. Thank you, bishops. 
They look at the church and her mission through the lens of the world rather than through the lens of truth revealed in Scripture and church. I want to say that again because they nailed it. Bishops don't look at the church through the world. They, he says they look at the church and her divine mission through the lens of the world rather than through the lens of the truth revealed in Scripture and the church's authoritative traditions. Boy, and I think of that when I read this book by Bishop Athanasius Snyder, The Catholic Mass, <clears throat> greatest book I've ever read on the Mass in 42 years of studying the Mass. We do have copies of that book by Bishop Athanasius Snyder. Call 877-526-2151 if you want to get a copy of that. <clears throat> but these members of the Synodal Path, he said, appear to be demanding structural changes rather than conversion of heart. They really did nail it. And I just want to thank these bishops who sang this, uh, the Bishop of uh, Denver, Bishop Aquila, San Francisco's Bishop, Archbishop Cardelion, uh, many of these bishops, uh, uh, you know these names, but he says, as successors of the apostles, we've got something of a duty to bear witness to the truth, Cardinal Pell told the National Catholic Register. That's what Bishop Strickland says every week on our show today. Now, saves the same, says the same thing. <clears throat> Why? They were ordained to do that. <clears throat> and I'm going to say it. I think those bishops who are changing the church teachings are Judases. Read the gospel today. That's a Judas who doesn't want to teach what our Lord taught. And uh, sorry to have to say that. Probably not make many friends, but I don't really care. So the signatures <clears throat> were um, sent out. Meanwhile, Bishop Strickland, who you know everybody knows, called for more bishops to join in calling for their German bishops to return to the truth of Jesus Christ. Let us pray for a renewal of faith during this Holy Week. He's going to be on after this show. I'm going to ask him <clears throat> why he signed that letter and uh, why this is important for Holy Mother, the Church. Hey, when we come back, my good friend Steve Ray, part two. You've heard it already. He, he covered the Holy Thursday, which is the institution of the priesthood and Holy Mass. Uh, and now we're going to continue through Good Friday and Holy Saturday, Easter, to cover what has gone on in, uh, in this. It's called The Week That Changed the World, a virtual, and I call it a virtual tour of the Passion of Christ during this Holy Week. And I want to encourage you to shut everything down for Holy, with, with Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, even the radio. Yeah, I'm sorry, I ever get in trouble for that. Can you tell I'm not politically correct? I'm a radio host, I'm telling you to just meditate, Read your scriptures. you got good books to read on the Mass, <clears throat> on the Passion of Christ, St. Alphonsus Liguori, The Glories of the Passion. That's another good one. I encourage you because this might be our last Lent that we have together. I have no idea. But every time I go to Mass, I say to myself, this could be my last Mass. Why? Because I want to participate in it like it is. Hey, when we come back, folks, put your seatbelt on. Our good friend Steve Ray's coming in to the studio. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. My good friend Steve Ray is here with the virtual tour of The Passion of Christ. Steve, thanks for joining us the second day in a row, brother. Well, thanks for having me on the second day in a row. I'm amazed you put up with me two days in a whole row. Uh, Steve Ray, let me tell you something, brother. I... I uh, 
I've been with you for over 20 years, I think now. Uh, I'm working pushing 30. A, oh, gosh. All right, maybe it's that long. But I can tell you, brother, if there's one guy that it's gonna, I want to be with that's going to evangelize the world, it's Steve Ray. And I mean that because he is on fire for the faith. Steve, I want to get right into the passion and finish up what you were doing yesterday because I really want to get as much material done in this segment. So I have it written down that we're at the typologies of Abraham and Isaac uh, unless you want to go back a little bit more on the passion. It's up to you. Well, I think that's good. I, let's go back to the Antonia Fortress. and Excellent. the. Um, Excellent. We had made a point that Pilate had just said that Jesus had no fault in him. Right. right when the Passover lambs were being certified across the street, yes. that they were blameless. And Jesus is the blameless son of God. And then they whipped him and beat him and they put a crown of thorns on his head. And I'm, I'm going to exchange hats here okay. Terry, for just a moment All right. because I made one of these things here. Wow. Look at that. And, oh and this is, and this is, um, oh. they might have been smaller thorns in a tree there, but it, it was more of a cap. See, not a, not like a band. Yeah. So this is one from the uh, thorn tree in our backyard. And uh, I haven't found anybody who wants to wear it yet. Yeah, I don't think so. But uh, can you imagine putting this on and then whacking it down? Oh, no, I couldn't imagine. And that would be quite painful. And <clears throat> it's it's pretty certain that it was not a like a, a band around his head, but more of a cap, right. a bush. Which is, by the way, let's do the typology now. When Jesus went to Calvary, we'll back up a little bit. But when Jesus went to Calvary, he was in a way it's reenacting or fulfilling what had been re uh, played out 2000 years earlier because Abraham, God had said, take your son, your only son whom you love. Now, does that remind you of a verse in the new Testament? Oh yeah. Usually people say John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son sure. and take your son, your only son whom you love mm -hmm. and take him three days journey to Mount Moriah. So then the question is, where's Mount Moriah? In uh, First Chronicles, it says that Solomon built his temple on Mount Moriah, mm -hmm. meaning he built his temple on top of Jerusalem. So Abraham had to take his son to the top of Jerusalem, right where Jesus is being crucified. Now, is that by chance or not? Why not just, why not just offer your son as a burnt offering in Hebron, where he lived? Why does he have to go all the way to this mountain? Because 2,000 years later, another father with his only begotten son whom he loved is going to offer his son as a sacrifice at the same place. Yeah. Isaac is going with his son who had to be about 15 years old at the time. And it says that Isaac, uh, he didn't fight with his father. He was a willing victim. He went there willingly. He didn't, he could have, he, his dad's an old man. A 15 year old boy can knock his hundred year old dad over. You think? But yeah, but he, uh, it was, a, he willingly went just like the son of the father in heaven willingly went. And when they went up the mountain and I don't think I, Abraham knew he wasn't going to kill his son and God knew it too. It was a test, but both of them, I think knew in their hearts, it wasn't going to happen because Abraham says to the two young men, that came with them, which are pictures of the two thieves on either side. He says, um, I'm, the lad and I will go up and worship God and we will return to you. In other words, this, the lad and I will come sure. back to you. Isaac says, Father, we have the wood and the fire for burning the sacrifice, but where is the lamb? And the Lord says, 
the Lord, I mean, Abraham says, the Lord will provide the lamb, my son. He knew that God was going to do something. He was going to provide, even if it was at the last minute. And when he gets there, he sees, he's ready to kill his son, and he sees a ram stuck in a thicket. Mm-hmm. And what does he mean, stuck in a thicket? It means that the ram's head was stuck in a thorn bush, basically. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, who is now the new lamb or ram of God, who's going to be offered, what was his head stuck in? A thorn bush. He had a crown of thorns on his head. So you see all the parallels that go along with that. And and it even goes on beyond that, because in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, it says that Abraham said that even if God were to, uh, even if he did have to kill his son, that God would raise him from the dead. So this is a real faith that this man had. It goes, I'm just going to real quickly go beyond that, though, because then it's also a picture of God. The father, Abraham, takes his son home after the resurrection, so to speak, takes his son home, says his son needs a bride, sends his unnamed servant to find a bride among his own people to bring him back to marry his son. God, the father, did that also. He, after he rose his son from the dead, took him back home to heaven, says, my son needs a bride. He sends his unnamed servant, the Holy Spirit, down to his own people again to find a bride for his son. And he brings 10 camels full of gifts, spiritual gifts that he gives to whomever he wills. The bride, the church, comes back to the son in heaven, falls in love, and they get married. This is <laughs> the whole picture of Abraham and Isaac doesn't just stop at the sat at the offering of Isaac, but it goes on all the way through to heaven. So anyway, that that is the beauty of typology where yep. you see... Abraham is a, a picture of God the Father offering his only son whom he loves. Yep. Um, the Jesus is stripped of his clothes. First of all, he's on his way after they put robes on him. They didn't do that with everybody. This is where we pretty much ended yesterday. They didn't do that with everybody, but they were mocking him as the king of the Jews. And they, that's why they put the crown on his head and the purple robes. They didn't do that for everybody. This was, this was drama. They were mocking him. Everything is about degradation, what a crucifixion, humiliation, destroying a person's personhood and dignity. Mm-hmm. And so they mock him and they beat him and whip him. And everybody saw Mel Gibson's movie. So we don't have to go into a whole lot of detail of what that must have been like. The Jews had limitations. You could only whip 40 times. And so they always said 39, 40 minus one or 39 times to make sure that they never miscounted and broke the law. But the Romans had no such limitations. They could beat people and whip them as long as they wanted to. The only reason they stopped whipping Christ is because they wanted to take him to the cross for the ultimate suffering. They didn't want him to die under the lash, which many men did. They'd wanted to get him all the way to the cross for the utter pain, because there's no other form of execution as painful as that. So they take him on the Via Della Rosa, which is the way of sorrows. And you've, you've gone that way with me in Jerusalem. And they're taking him along, and he's weak because he's suffering shock already. His tongue is probably already swollen in his mouth. He's lost a lot of blood. He has not slept. He hasn't eaten, had anything to drink, and he is in shock. And so in the other three Gospels, it doesn't say this, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John. uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they say that Jesus had Simon the Cyrene come and help him carry the cross but John doesn't tell us that because John is, again, hearkening back to Abraham, where it says that when Isaac and Abraham went up Mount Moriah, Abraham had the wood of the sacrifice on his back. Mm-hmm. When Jesus is going up to the place of crucifixion, he also had the wood 
of the sacrifice on his back, the cross. So John makes it very clear that it was Jesus that carried it. But the other three are pretty clear that Jesus was pretty exhausted. So even though he did carry it himself, or most of the way, Simon the Cyrene had to help him. And by the way, it was Simon the Cyrene's lucky day, but he didn't realize it at the time. He had just come in from Cyrene, which is in North Africa. You can imagine him in his three-piece suit and his briefcase. He's on his way to a business meeting that morning. And all of a sudden, they say, there's a big guy. Grab him. And they grab him and say, you help him. And he said, this is my new suit. I don't want to get all bloody and messed up. What I, I've got a business meeting. But he got pressed into service. It was his lucky day because the blood of Christ spilled on that man. And we know that he converted because later in the Bible, we see that his two sons, Rufus and Alexander, both became leaders in the church, right. obviously, because of their father having that close of con- When you get that close to Jesus, beware, because it's going to have an impact on you. There's just no way to avoid that. So he gets to the place of the crucifixion, and then all of that pain begins. Incredible. Steve, this is a great description. I just want to encourage everybody to go back to the podcast and listen to this description because it's very, very good. Where do we want to go from here, Steve? Well, when they get to the cross, they put that purple robe on him. Yep. Now, when my when I was a boy, mm-hmm. I was I was kind of wild. I was always no more than all my brothers, broken bones, scars, burns, all kinds of things I got because I was I was just a wild kid. I'd always come running into the house and my mom would have to put a bandage on me for, I mean, one time a horse kicked me in the face and took the side of my nose off. They had to sew it back on. I came in blood was squirting out all over the place. I this happened to me all the time, but my mom would put bandages on me. Yeah. And then the next day she'd say, we have to take this off and put a fresh one on. And she'd go and rip that bandaid off. And all of that scabbing and everything had stuck to the bandaid and it all came ripping out, starts to bleed again. Yeah. Now, she should have soaked it in water. She didn't do that. I don't know why, but anyway, when Jesus had this robe on his back, you saw in Mel Gibson's movie what his back was like. Mm-hmm. It was like raw hamburger. Yep. And when they get there after taking him all that time and they take this robe and they go <laughs> and they rip his robe off, mm. it opens all of those wounds up again. Now, one of the things I really love in Mel Gibson's movie, and I think people should watch it again every Easter, yeah. is that in that movie, when they rip the robes off of Jesus, it right. flashes back to the upper room. Yep or the basket of the bread, the Eucharist, and they take the cloth and they pull it up off the bread. And it's the same image of taking the cloth up. That's the body of Christ in the basket at Passover. Mel Gibson is brilliant, by the way, in doing that. Um, The other scene I really like from the movie is when Jesus falls and Mary comes running to him in slow motion. This, This one probably hit me more than anything else in the whole movie. And it flashes back to Jesus, the little boy, falling and skinning his knee on the road. And Mary runs back and puts her arm around him and comforts him until he can get back up on his feet again. But she can't do anything for him now. And he just says, Mother, through the blood and the sweat and the dirt, Mother, I make all things new. Mm-hmm. And that that's a very moving scene. But they get him there. They rip off his clothes. Now, this is a point of contention. And I put it up on my website yesterday again that I make the contention Jesus was crucified naked. And people don't like that. They said no. That would be that would be humiliating to the Son of God. The Father would never let that happen to him. Mary would never let that happen to him. And I said, Mary wasn't in charge. I'm you didn't sorry. Have a choice. <laughs> there was no choice. The Romans stripped people naked and hung them on the cross. Plus, the soldiers they cast lots for his undergarments and his yep. outer garments. Okay. 
The way that the Romans killed was to totally denigrate a person, to yeah. destroy their humanity, their personhood, yeah. to make them so embarrassed so that they even you lose control of your bodily functions. Yeah. And, you know, you could just imagine the bodily functions just cut loose yeah. and he's there on the cross and he's bleeding and dripping, but totally naked in front of his mother and all of these people in the town. But the Romans did that for two reasons. One is to totally bring pain and humiliation to that person as the ultimate form of suffering, not just the pain, but the humiliation of the nakedness and everything else that went with it. But also, then they are pointing their finger at the rest of the Romans or the Jews and saying, do you want to die like this? Don't you ever defy the powers of Rome. You obey us or you're going to be hanging at cross the same way. When we come back, you have a comment about nature reacting to the crucifixion. When we come back, we'll hear Steve talk about that. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse show on Virgin Most Powerful. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back after a quick break. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse show. To join the conversation, call 888-526- Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. Jesse, he'll be back tomorrow. Steve Ray is giving us a great tour of the Easter Tritium. I wanted to remind everybody, on the 28th of May, there's a rosary crusade for priests up in Sacramento at the Hughes Stadium. I'm going to be speaking there with Father Don Calloway to 20,000 people talking about praying for priests with their rosary and their actions. So if you want to join us there, just type in Rosary Crusade for Priests and you can find that. And I'd love to see you there with all 20,000 people there. Steve, I teased everybody at the break. I said, nature reacted to the crucifixion. Share with us what went on there. I, there was a lot of reaction to it. The uh, centurion said, this surely is the son of God. Okay, But I think nature, which had been created by God, the universe, is they're watching symbolically or so, however it is, as seeing their creator yeah. be killed. Yeah. It's, it's stunning to think about. The earth, which was created by him, mm-hmm. is now watching him be killed. Yep. And the sun goes dark. There's, um, the rocks are cracked. And, and you can see that in, in Calvary. When you go up, you see all the rocks are cracked. And the nature, I think, reacted by blocking out the sun by earthquakes, cracking open the rocks. It just did not like it was reacting against the fact that its creator was being treated this way and even killed on a cross. And the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. It doesn't say from bottom to top because that could imply man tearing it up to reach God. Right. Rather, God tore it from the top down and opened the Holy of Holies and where the Ark of the Covenant used to be it wasn't there anymore at this time but where the ark of the covenant used to be in the presence of god it now made it so that we can come in and have access right into the very throne of grace where god is but it also god got out of the holy of holies and now he's out among us in the church and in the tabernacles around the world but i that's uh this even the it says tombs were opened wow and dead people got up and walked around sure. you know my dad died nine years ago mm-hmm. And I can you imagine there's a resurrection of Christ and this nature reaction, the tombs also are opened. And all of a sudden, my dad walks out. Wow. (laughs) 
I saw my dad die nine years ago or 10 years ago. I mean, would you imagine it says that people who are dead in the tombs, even even the, the close proximity to this action of Jesus dying on the cross affected even the tombs were opened and dead people started to come out and walk around. Um, yeah. That's a very strange verse, by the way, in Matthew. It's a very interesting verse to think about. But the crucifixion would have lasted for three hours. He was on the cross and it was a merciful crucifixion. Let me say that. And you say, are you crazy, Steve Ray? Get him off the phone, <laughs> off the radio. What's he mean? It's a merciful crucifixion. What I mean is that there is records of men being kept alive on the cross for over a week. Wow. Can you imagine being alive, hanging on that cross in utter pain and shock, having the crows ripping the flesh off your bones, all the people walking by and wagging their head by so they wag their head at him and throwing things at him and spitting on him, you criminal, you crooked. And he's, but Jesus was only on the cross three hours. And roughly we feel by the time it was three o'clock that he died. Now remember, they didn't have Apple watches back then like this, you know, they didn't, <laughs> they, they just kind of looked up at the stars and kind of got an idea what time it was. Yep. But he was on and from noon till three o'clock and it's the most horrendous way to die. By the way, the nails probably didn't go in the palm like here, oh, no. because if you do, the weight would just rip the nail right out sure. through here. But if you put the nail in still in the palm, but right here, if you just feel that, there's a whole conglomeration of bones right there. And it's still in the palm, but it's in the wrist as well. And that would have held the weight because of the bone structure. Mm. But right in there is the median nerve. Oof. And the median nerve is one of the most painful in the body. And even during World War One and Two, morphine would not cut the pain of when somebody got wounded there. So it was really an us outrageous way to kill someone. It was a symphony of pain is the way I like to say it. Every nerve in his body was radiating like a symphony of pain and agony, screaming uh, sensations coming from every direction and nothing you could do about it. And at the same time, you're being mocked and ridiculed and naked on the cross. Yeah. Incredible. I, you know, when you think about what our Lord did for us and to think that if it was just one person, he would have done, he would have done all that for yes. one person. It's just yeah. incredible. Steve. Now, now, seven short words, Terry. Yeah. Seven short words. Okay. Why short words? Because he's hanging on the cross with mm -hmm. his arms outstretched and right. the nails are in his hands right. and then they're in his feet. Right. All of the weight of his body is on those nails. Now he, in order to speak, when you're stretched out like this, your diaphragm doesn't work right. You, to get a word out, you've got to raise yourself up on your feet, on those nails on your feet, and use those nails to yeah. raise your weight up Ouch. so that you could say, mother, your son, your mother. Oh, and then he <laughs> slides back down and catches right. his breath again. But he's right sliding up and down a rough-hewn piece of wood with his back ripped to shreds already. Yeah. And then, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Oh, he falls back because his arms are now. And it's this, it's this dynamic action of trying to breathe, trying to stay uh, from dying right away from suffocation and from getting the words out to. And, and you know, the, the words aren't for him. He's not cursing anyone. He's, not, right. he's asking God to forgive these people. And he's, pray, and he's praying for his mother and for John. And he does ask for, I thirst. Um, and they give him wine mixed with myrrh, which is also a, a terrible thing because myrrh and wine just taste bitter and horrible. 
And so that was also here, drink this. <laughs> Pretty bad, huh? And they laugh at him. And so the words that he spoke were very short, and most of them were to forgive and to let people, it is finished, I thirst. Yep. Very short bursts of words because he was in such agony and suffering. Yeah, and and, Je- and I'm going to call you Jesse. And Steve, uh, the whole issue of this um, passion, uh, you know, really shows again, and I think the world doesn't really understand that, uh, the significance of this week and of the crucifixion. People say, oh, yeah, well, they say this, but this is all historically documented, even from non-Christians or the Jewish people. All this has been documented that this crucifixion took place in a very detailed way. Isn't that true? Yes, it is. And you even have it prophesied in the Old Testament of how it was going to happen. Not a bone will be broken. They right. pierced my side. The whole Old Testament, especially Psalm 22, in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, and it, it gives these very graphic images of what's going to happen at the crucifixion. And Jesus is the new Adam. He's yeah. starting a new creation. He's a, The first Adam was in a garden at a tree of life, and he brought about death. Right. The new Adam is now in another garden, and he's at the tree of death, and he's bringing about life. He flips it. Yeah. He, he reverses it. He's starting a new humanity. And and to see that, if you ask yourself, why does it say in John's gospel, it says that the cross and the tomb were in a garden. Yeah. This, this is just bizarre. You don't think of an electric chair or a gallows no. being in a garden. No, you don't. But these, John tells us it's in a garden because he wants you to think back to the primordial garden the garden of Eden, exactly where the first adam was and look and look, just think of how this is so interesting in the garden of eden adam was without a helpmate and god said he needs a bride so he puts adam to sleep in a garden at a tree and he cuts open adam's side and he takes part of adam's body out and from that bodily part he fashions a bride Adam wakes up and he says, oh, my goodness. Just imagine how beautiful Eve was. Oh, my (laughs) goodness. And he writes a poem. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. She's beautiful. (laughs) Did you see it? Yeah. But now we've got another Adam and he's in a garden and God the father wants him to have a bride. So he puts him to sleep at a tree in a garden and he cuts open his side with a lance. Yeah. And he takes part of his body out, the blood and the water, which represents baptism in the Eucharist, the initiatory rites into the church. He takes part of his body. This new Adam slices his side open while he's asleep on the cross, takes part of his body out, and he fashions from that the church. Adam, the second Adam, wakes up, and he's in love with his church, and he has a bride. So this all, you cannot understand the Gospels without understanding Genesis. Without understanding the first garden, you can't really understand the new garden. Without the first Adam, you can't understand the last Adam. And Mary is the, as the Eve, too, just like it said, the fathers of the church said, that Eve tied the knot of sin with her disobedience. That's right. Mary untied the knot of sin through her obedience. Yep. Steve, you've got some good insights on the burial uh, of Jesus, about the cave where he was born and then a cave where he was buried. I think that's fascinating. Can you share a little bit about the burial of our Lord? Yeah, and, and also I will about the wrapping in the shroud because yeah, sure. um, Mary, mm-hmm. what is the first thing it says Mary did at the first moment of Jesus' life? She wrapped, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Of course. 
when some who have studied the shroud say that it was so carefully placed on the body, so the image just shows that it yeah. was so carefully tucked around the body that only a mother could have done that. <laughs> I've heard that. I, yeah, I'm convinced that Mary is the one. Yeah, sure, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were there orchestrating it all and providing sure. the tomb and so on. Yeah. But I believe that it was Mary. She was there. She would have wrapped her oh, son. Yeah. Of course. So just at the very first moment of her, his life, she wrapped him in his swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. At the very last moment of his life, she wraps him in the shroud and she lays him in the tomb. Now, the tomb is, is a cave. It's actually dug out of the ground, out of rock. And they dig different niches in there where they would put the body. The way normally the Jews would do it is they'd wait till the body decayed and all the meat bones and everything and the meat and the skin and decaying things go off and all that's left is the bones then they take the bones out and they put them in a much smaller thing called an ossuary a bone box Mm -hmm. so they have this cave and they put them in there somebody dug that cave now jesus was born in a cave provided by a man named joseph and jesus was buried in a cave provided by a man named joseph beautiful it, these things are just too oh, no. coincidental it, it was, to make It was providential, let's just be honest. Stephen, we right, come back, was. let's talk about the beauty of the Catholic liturgy tied into the Tritium, and even okay. how the Mass is a reenactment of Calvary, all of this. And again, I'm recommending people pick up Bishop Athanasius Snyder's book, The Catholic Mass from Sophia. I just finished it. It's beautiful. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. Steve Ray's been with us the last two days sharing the Easter Tritium, the week that changed the world with us. Steve, I'd like to ask you now in this last segment to walk us through uh, the whole issue uh, of the beauty of the Catholic liturgy, and if there's time, cover some on uh, Holy Saturday also on the Resurrection and Sunday. Go ahead. We have the Catholic liturgy yeah. these four days, it, yeah. actually starting with Palm Sunday, really right. enables us to enter into the whole passion of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the drama, I, I love it that the Catholic Church recognizes that God made a religion that corresponds to who we are as human beings. That's true. We, we, the, the whole week affects our smell, our ears, our sight, our smell, taste, feel, everything. We're all of our senses, a whole feast for the senses. You've got the the smells of the incense and you're holding the palm branches and and, and the music. Um, and then they take away the sacrament in the tabernacles to represent the fact that Jesus is gone from our presence for that time. And I, you know what, after being Catholic, I, I can sense that I, my wife and I, we could feel that we go into a church. It just feels empty. It feels sad, but the liturgy of the church, especially this week, and then Easter, the whole pomp and circumstance and the beauty of the music it starts with sin in the garden and bondage in egypt and then slowly it rises and rises to the crescendo of the readings at the the easter vigil mass um the what that parish that we belong to christ the king in ann arbor boy they really do it up to it the music it's just stunning but it, it just brings us out of the darkness of that death and then the lights come on the candles go on and the light of the world is coming back and, yes and it just it's theater yeah. but then again that's 
God understands who we are. People love theater and movies and watching and acting. And here he gives us a religion that lets us step right back into it. And in a way, we're saying that this not only did it happen back then, but it's reenacted or representing itself today like the Eucharist. We're actually living through it again. And uh, it's not a past event, but it's very much alive and real for us today. And it's definitely great drama. And the Lord gave that to the church. Well, I always think of what Fulton Sheen would say, without Good Friday, there's no Easter Sunday. So can we, we got about 11 minutes. Can we share the Easter Sunday message? Yes. um, I'd also say that we should discuss the tomb. There's, really quickly, there's two places that claim to be the tomb in in Jerusalem. One is the Protestants. They go to a place called the Garden Tomb, which was never even considered until 1850s because— because most Protestants didn't like the Catholic and Orthodox yeah. environment of the Holy Sepulchre. And they said it was that Jesus was crucified outside the city walls and the Holy Sepulchre is inside the city walls. So he couldn't. So they went looking for another place that suited them well. But they don't realize that the tomb of Christ where he was at the time of that Christ, it was outside the city walls. And in 44 AD, they built new walls, which enclosed the tomb. So mm-hmm. the Catholic Church is right. It has been from the beginning. But on Saturday, where did he go? He went into, it says in the Apostles' Creed, that he descended into hell. Now, that is not the hell of the damned. Right. That's not the hell of where the devil's going to spend eternity and, and where those who have died out of friendship with God are going to, with the fires of hell forever. This was the Hades, the Greek word is Hades, the place of the dead. We're down there, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all of those who have lived in faith, looking forward to the finished work of Christ by faith, are waiting for that resurrection so they can be taken up into heaven. And it says in the Bible, in the catechism, that Jesus went down to announce to them. I think he he just strutted in the door and he says, guys, it's done. What you were waiting for and prophesying about is finished. I did it. I, it is finished. And now I'm going to take you all with me. We're going to raise up into heaven and the victory procession, the victory celebration can begin. And that's where Jesus went over Holy Saturday. And how can God die? People have said, how can God die? If he was really God, how could he die? Well, death means separation, the separation of the body from the soul. Jesus was a human. He was a divine person with both human and divine nature. His human nature, his human body died just like mine is going to die. And But his soul, his divine person was still there. Went down into heaven, announced the news, came back up, got reunited with his body, and then went up into heaven. That's what's going to happen to all of us at the end of time. We're going to be reunited with our bodies and taken back up to heaven. So that's what happened on Saturday. We can't miss Saturday. Mm Then the resurrection is stunning. And I just got back from Italy where we saw the face cloth of Christ at Montepello. Oh. Should have had an image to show you that here. And it's um, there's a book by Paul Body, B-A-D-D-E. I would recommend you read it, published by Ignatius Press, entitled The Face of God. Mm. And this face cloth was the cloth, very fragile, expensive cloth. It was put on his face and then the shroud was put over that. And at the moment of his resurrection, an image was imprinted on that. Nobody knows how. It's kind of like the shroud. It's a mysterious uh, miracle. 
and it's made of muscle silk. Those little creatures in the sea called mussels, they build a, it's like a spider web almost. Mm -hmm. And this fabric is made of that with his face cloth. And it's the moment his eyes open. It's like the power of the resurrection, whatever atomic energy exploded, it left an image on there of his eyes open and like the first moment of being raised from the dead. It's worth reading about and looking up. And it says that John and Peter walked in and they saw that and they believed. What did they believe? I think they saw the face cloth. They saw Jesus's face. They had seen him in the upper room and they had seen his face all beaten and bloody on the cross. John was there looking up at him and now he sees his image in the tomb of his eyes open. And he did raise from the dead anyway. That's my opinion of it, but I think it's very well uh, um, founded in the book, The Face of God. But so in the, in the tomb, though, he comes back alive. It's not a – I remember a priest one time telling me – I was with Al Cresta, and this priest told us that the resurrection was not – if you'd have been there, you wouldn't have seen anything. It was a spiritual event. And I said, wait a minute, are you telling me that if there was a video camera inside the tomb <laughs> that morning, it would not have recorded anything? And he said, exactly. It was a spiritual event. I have to say, maybe I'll get, I'll get hammered for saying that. I but disagree. I said, Father, <laughs> I said, Father, I'm a brand new Catholic, but I know enough to know that's heresy. Exactly. And that is total heresy. It is the bodily resurrection of Christ. Amen, we're just brother. talking about a spiritual event, and we've lost the mystery and the, the real punch to this that— Christians believe there's going to be a bodily, this body, God made us. And he said, it is very good, but it got bent because of sin and it's going to die. And, but when it comes back, it's going to be a new spiritual uh, body. It's going to be body and soul. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be this body. I'm going to have new knees, Terry. I'm going to be able to run again. Glorified body, new body. And it's going to be raised from the dead. And why do you say it was just a spiritual event? That's heresy. Yeah. So the whole meaning of the resurrection is that Jesus destroyed death. He destroyed yeah. sin and death and the devil. And in the end, we're all going to be raised from the dead. And John's gospel says it in a scary way, though. It says in John 5, 20 and 29, there's a great mystery. At the end of time, all the dead will be raised bodily. Yes. Those who, there'll be a resurrection of life to those who have done good. Doesn't say faith alone. There'll be a bodily resurrection of, of, of right of heaven for those who have done good and a resurrection of damnation for those who have done evil. <laughs> and so all of us are going to be raised from the dead and we will be judged by God and we'll go to one of two places. Some people today are also heretics and saying that everybody's going to be saved in the end. This is a universalism. No, that's not the case. There's a heaven and there's a hell and they're both eternal and we're going to be in one of those two places. And Jesus made it possible for us to get to the good place and I have no intentions of going to the bad place. Preach it, brother. I'm telling you, Steve, this is what we call the Catholic faith. What he just said, folks, he nailed it. And again, uh, this is why the resurrection is so important. Uh, Jess, uh, Jesse, I said, Steve, if we have a, just a minute or two. Why is it so hard for people to believe? Tell us why that is. Oh, I think it's hard to believe because yeah. uh, we have been so tainted by the secular world. That's it. A uh, uh, hundred years ago, people believed in miracles. They believed that there was a God and that he could reach down and do things in his creation. But today we have pretty much bought a bill of goods, a yep. bunch of lies that that everything is controlled by science. We're all here by chance. There's right. no God, and therefore right. there can be no miracles. And I think that's very sad because all through history, and and in my movie on Jesus that I did, yes, I I do tell why it was hard to believe because I you're walking 
up the aisle of a church and there's a coffin up in the front. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that it would have been hard for these guys to believe it because they saw Jesus killed. They saw him buried and put in the coffin. I said, so why, what wouldn't they be surprised if, and then the camera comes up and I pop up out of the coffin. I'm alive. I (laughs) I love it. Wouldn't you be surprised if you saw him dead and beaten and buried and dead and know he's dead to all of a sudden walk up and have him pop out of the coffin. And when that happens, everybody jumps when they're watching the movie. It's kind of shocking. Yeah. But, coming back to life after the dead who's seen that happen not many people have seen anything like that so it's hard to believe but it is a factual historical reality that jesus died and was dead and buried but he rose again and paul doesn't give us the option to deny it he doesn't say well it's just faith just believe it no and first corinthians 15 he says i'm telling you i've done all the research Mm -hmm. and it is a fact peter saw him the apostle saw him and i saw him and five hundred brothers saw him, most of those who are still alive today who could testify to that fact. You have no chance, no choice. You have to believe by reason and by factual history and eyewitnesses. You have to believe or you're a moron. That's basically what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Love it. Steve, just I want to recommend people to go to your website, catholicconvert.com. I didn't mention it earlier and I want to because there's so much there of resources your trips to overseas, to the Holy Land, to Marian shrines all over the world. I encourage people to sign up for those conferences and for those pilgrimages. Uh, last thought, Steve. We've got a minute and a half here. Uh, what about the road to Emmaus? Because I think this is a great topic here for people to think about. Go ahead. That's another whole show, Terry, because the road to Emmaus, Jesus meets up with them <laughs> exactly. right after the resurrection, and they're all in despair that he's died and they knew about it. Yep. And yet he said he starts to tell them how all of the whole Old Testament is about him. I would have loved to have that. Luke. I have a problem with Luke. He's he given us all oh, of those facts. I've heard you I tell me that. Yes. All right. Hey, Steve Ray, CatholicConvert.com. Thanks for joining us this Holy Week. I hope You're you and your family have a great Easter Tritium, and I hope all of our listeners also. Steve, I, I finish the show every every day asking Jess Romero this question. Je, I'll say, Steve Ray, what state should we be living in, brother? Well, I know you want me to say the state Michigan? of grace. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll yeah. go along with you, Terry. No, no, I'm going to. Okay, so yeah, the state of grace. The state, the state of the resurrection. Amen, the life brother. Of Christ. I can buy that, too. The state of the resurrection, our glorified okay. bodies. Steve Ray, CatholicConvert.com. Thanks again for joining us. Up next, Bishop Joseph Strickland. You don't want to miss this. This is a straight-shooting bishop. Man, he has an hour of power of teaching the Catholic faith with authority as a successor of the Apostle. Go to VMPR.org if you don't have our app. If it's not playing on your station, ask them to play it. This is a bishop who speaks the truth and charity and clarity. Stay with us, family. Bishop Strickland up next on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. God love you.